Morning. Uh, we are Kevin and Rebecca Desprez. We've been coming to TCC for about a year with our four children, uh, Evelyn, Josiah, and the younger two are upstairs. Uh, this morning we'll be reading from Matthew and Hebrews. I'll be reading Matthew 10, 2-4. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Thaddeus, sorry. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The next portion of scripture is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day coming. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It is good to be together this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Adam Beyer. I am the lead associate pastor here at Twilliger Community Church, and I am the uh, interim lead pastor. Um, well, Pastor Norb Jenke is uh, away on sabbatical, and so I know that him and his wife Tina covet your prayers uh, in their time away, just that they would be experiencing a refreshment from the Lord uh, as they take a, a break from ministry for these few months. And so I know our staff team have been praying for him and invite you to join us in that as well. Well, this past weekend on Monday, it was Labor Day, and so my older brother figured it would be fitting to invite me to come over and do some labor. And, uh, and he had purchased a, a playground set from Costco, and he figured he needed some help putting it together. So he reaches out to a few of us guys, and we all show up at his house. And uh, when I get there, I see all of these different boxes lined up against the fence. And there must have been five, six boxes. And they start to unload these boxes. And out of these boxes come one piece after another, one piece after another, trying to sort them and organize them. The boxes and all the pieces weren't quite as overwhelming as the Rubbermaid table that he had set up in his backyard. And on this Rubbermaid table was probably 30 different types of fasteners, bolts, and washers, and all sorts of things. I am a journeyman carpenter, and in all my years of framing houses and school and technical training, I had never seen something quite so complicated. And so we decided to, you know, let's, let's get at this. And we spent probably four or five hours sorting pieces, laying pieces out, screwing them together, realizing we'd screwed them together wrong, unscrewing them, getting it right, re-screwing them back together. And as the day went on, we ended up with this beautiful product, a, uh, just a, a great looking playground with, with two slides. Uh, my dad there at the front, he's putting on a climbing wall, there's swings, it was fantastic. My brother realized something, though. My brother made a, had a realization when he saw all these boxes from Costco that putting this playground together was not a do-it-yourself project. 
he realized that for him to do this well, for him to do this effectively, he needed the help of friends. So he reached out and he gathered around himself a community and he said to them, hey, let's build this playground together. And we did. And to my knowledge, it has not yet fallen apart. Well, back in June, the TCC staff gathered together for a week of visioning, of dreaming, of praying for you, TCC. We spent time talking about what has been and the ministry we've been engaging in, and we anticipated what was ahead. What does God have in store for us as a congregation as we begin a new ministry season? That was our question. And as we prayed and as we we looked at this, a word emerged for us. And that word was together. The word was together. See, at the heart of our meetings that week, we realized that faith, your relationship with God, your journeying with Jesus through life is not a do-it-yourself project. We need one another. We need the company of friends to walk alongside us in this journey that we call life in order for us to experience the flourishing that Jesus has for us. Do you guys remember March 2020, a couple years ago? Yeah. Those are days that we would like to forget, aren't they? When our whole world was turned upside down. We were dealing with lockdowns and restrictions. Our children were were sent home from school to do learning at home. And as parents, they're frantically trying to figure out how to manage their kids at home while work. You guys remember all this? I'm probably um, bringing up some trauma for some of you. It's been a difficult year. A bit of a difficult past few years. We've had a good summer. But I have to ask the question, how are you? An Angus Reid poll that was conducted um, at the beginning of this year back in March, so two years from the pandemic, surveyed Canadians asking the question of how would you rate, rate various areas of your life? Are they doing better or are they doing worse? And all these different questions, Canadians reported that their finances are in worse condition, their anxiety and depression is in worse condition. The relationships with others are in way worse condition than it had been before. Tension in marriages, things were not well. They reported an increase in loneliness. People are feeling alone. I looked into loneliness a bit more to see that loneliness wreaks havoc in people's lives, adding to layers of anxiety and depression, pushing people deeper and deeper into isolation. And when I think about all that, and I think about this season, this pandemic season that we're coming out of, I have to ask the question, how are you? How are you doing? How is your heart? How is your family? And I think if we're honest, we can look and see in our lives that maybe things are not exactly as we think they should be. I know in my own life, I recognize that my capacity is not what it once was. I'm a lot more tired than I used to be, and I know that I can attribute that to more than just having young kids. I need to sleep more than I used to. One author commented on how the global pandemic was a type of trauma that we all walked through together. And he asked the question then, how are we to move well, move together? How are we to move forward well? How are we to heal If we really have experienced varying degrees of trauma, how are we as a society, how are we as people to move forward in life, not just ignoring what's happened, not just saying, I just don't want to think about all that thing, all those things, but how do we move forward in a way we're actually coming out stronger and better 
on the other side? Well, I think there's a lot of obvious answers to this. You know, the importance of us paying attention to our own hearts, paying attention to our energy levels, getting the rest that we need. In some cases, it's important for us to seek counseling and and be able to talk to people about the various losses and things we've experienced over the past two years. We think about practices like silence and solitude, spending time with Jesus, um, praying, bringing him the burdens and the concerns of our heart. These are all incredibly important. But back in June, when our staff were praying about this fall ministry season, I think something that emerged for us was this reality that what if some of the healing and the strength that we're looking for will come from us engaging in life together? What if some of the healing and the strength that you need in this season is going to come as you press more intentionally into community, into looking at others and saying, Do you know what? This life isn't a do-it-yourself project. I need some help. So this is our theme for this fall. Life together. And over the next coming weeks, we're going to talk about various elements of what this looks like. We're going to talk about what I know my heart and our staff's heart is for TCC. That we would become a church that is known for being really good at community. We're going to talk about vulnerability. We're going to talk about accountability. We're going to talk about being a community where people can come and find healing. We're going to talk about being a community that goes out into the world and brings the light and life of Jesus. And in all of this, continuing to return to this theme of the importance of us doing life together. Does that sound good? Yeah? Okay. Well, let's get going on this. I want us today focus on this idea that life together or the practice of community is a major theme in Scripture. It is a major theme in Scripture. We're going to be kind of all over the place today, so if you have your Bibles, I just invite you to um, get ready to do some flipping around. And if we look right back at Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2, we see that we were made for community. You and I were made for community. During the creation narrative, it's really interesting how after each day, God makes the statement that it was good. It was good. Another day of creation happens, God looks at it, he says, it is good. Another day of creation happens, he looks at it, he says that it is good. After he creates humanity, we have the narrative of Adam being placed in the Garden of Eden. And it's interesting in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, where this refrain of it being good is suddenly disrupted. Why? Because it is not good that Adam is alone. And we we read in in Genesis 2.18 that the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. This is interesting because Adam is surrounded by beauty. Adam has been given work to do. He has a purpose. Adam has amazing union with God. Yet God looks at him and observes that something is not good. You know, I often think in my own Christianity, we, we talk a lot about me and Jesus, right? It's just, it's all about me and God. If my relationship with God is good, that is all that I need. But friends, even in the perfection of the garden, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good that he is alone. Commentator Derek Kinder said that man will not live until he loves, giving himself away to another on his own level. So while we recognize that God has created us for himself and that our hearts are restless until they rest in him, to quote Augustine, we also need to recognize that God has made us for community. 
Now, as the narrative goes on, we understand, we just get to the next chapter, and sin enters the world. There's a brokenness between man's relationship with God. There's a brokenness between Adam and Eve, so between one another. And sin just wreaks havoc. And we get to Genesis chapter 12, and God begins to intervene. And we read that God is going to intervene. He's going to make a way to restore humanity to himself. How's he going to do it? Through a community. And there's much that could be said on this, but I just want to flip over into Exodus chapter 19. And so the the narrative, what happens, we have um, God calls Abraham and his family. He says, through this family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. This family ends up in slavery. They call out to God. God responds to them. And after he brings them out of Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai. And God makes this statement to them. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's plan to reconcile the world back to himself, to deal with this issue of sin, was that he called a community. That community was supposed to be a kingdom of priests representing God to the world. We keep moving on in the narrative. We get to the New Testament and we read that Jesus, similar to his father who built a community in the Old Testament, that Jesus also builds a community. And we read the life of Jesus. We see that Jesus called followers. He taught his followers He demonstrated to them what life in the kingdom would look like, and he led them. And during an interesting conversation with with Peter, Jesus points ahead to a time when his disciples, his family of faith, would be called my church. And in Matthew chapter 16, we read, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here in this text, Jesus is pointing out to Peter that there is coming a community. This word church in the Greek, in its original context, is referring to a group or an assembly of persons called together for a particular purpose. So there's going to be a particular group of people that Jesus is calling together. He is going to establish this community of people. We know now, though, that this word church in our culture has come to be understood as followers of Christ who who derive their identity and mission from Jesus and understood themselves to be the true eschatological community of God. But friends, in this we see that Jesus' vision for his followers included a vision for community. Jesus' vision for his followers is that they would do life together. What I want us to get out of this is that when Jesus calls us, he calls us into community. The call to follow Jesus is simultaneously a call to participate in community. Just think about it. When Jesus called Peter on the shore, when he called Matthew from the tax booth, whenever he called a disciple, it wasn't only a call to come and follow him, Jesus, an individual. But it was also a call to now join up with this group of followers who were following Jesus. The call to follow Jesus is simultaneously a call to community. But here's the thing. 
This community is not some sort of social club. This community is not a group of people who say, hey, I really like you, I want to hang out with you. No, Jesus called a particular community. He called a group of people together that might not have otherwise wanted to hang out with one another. And this is really interesting. I want you to catch this. We have in Matthew um, chapter 10, which uh, Kevin and Rebecca read for us, a glimpse into some of the complications that were probably present in the early Jesus community. You know, have you ever showed up on a job and you meet some of your coworkers and you go, man, I don't really like you. <laughs> or you think to yourself, I really hope I'm not working like in the cubicle next to that guy or something like that. I remember when I was framing and I showed up at one of our work sites and um, I met a new staff that I had no idea was being hired onto our team. And I very quickly had this feeling of like, I'm not going to like this guy. <laughs> but there you are at work working next to maybe someone that you don't like very much. This was the situation for the early disciples. Here in Matthew chapter 10, we have a list or description of the disciples. And it's interesting that Matthew describes two of them with a little bit more detail than the rest. Some of them were just given their names. Others were told who they're the sons of. But when we get to Matthew, Matthew points out that he was a tax collector. And he goes on to talk about Simon, who was a zealot. Now, the Zealots were an interesting community in Jesus' day. Josephus, the historian, documents that the Zealots were the ones who were led by Judas the Galilean, who was leading revolts against the Romans. In 6 AD, he had a sharp opposition to Roman tax, and they were quite violent against the Romans. So some of these Zealots were regarded as militant Jewish nationalists who declared war against Rome. They'd armed themselves with daggers and were set at putting an end to the Roman people. So that's the zealot. But then we also have this tax collector. Matthew, who is a tax collector, was on the payroll for Rome. Matthew worked for Rome. He got his salary by working for Rome. So imagine the tension between Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector. If we were to choose an extreme example from our day, it would be like a Taliban sitting down for dinner with someone who'd just come home from fighting overseas. The tension in the room, can you imagine? But this is the community that Jesus brought around himself. This was not a social club. It was not a group of people who would have said, hey, I want to hang out with you. I really like you. Jesus brought together people of unlikes, who were unlike one another. He brought people who were different from one another. He brought people who in no other situation would have spent time together. And as they came together, they became the Jesus community. And in their difference, I believe, they found a strength. In their difference, they experienced a unity brought by the Holy Spirit that eventually changed the world. And it's this group of difference that Jesus prayed would have unity. In, Matthew, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that they would be one. We know that Jesus didn't stay on earth, but he ascends into heaven. He sends his spirit, and the spirit comes and brings unity. And we read in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit working amazing works in the life of the church. We've just been there as a church in our, our summer series through the book of Acts. But Acts chapter 2, we read about this early community. We read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is Acts 2.42. 
They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, there's the word, and had things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. And day by day, attending in the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see the picture of community in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit brings unity. And what I love about this is the early church, a lot of their growth was simply from people seeing what this early community was like and saying, I want to be a part of it. They had a glimpse into this radical community that was different than the other communities that they had experienced. And there was something about that community that was so vibrant and so attractive that they wanted to join. The remainder of the New Testament, we have letters written to these communities teaching them how to do life together. In this we see that the Word of God strengthens the community. The Word of God strengthens the community. And here, our individualism in the West really gets in the way. When we read Paul's letters or, or the, the letters to the churches written by Peter and the author of Hebrews and John, it's, it's easy for us to read it uh, thinking that these letters were written to, to us as individuals. But friends, that's a really poor way to read Scripture because the you, Y-O-U, in Scripture rarely actually means a singular you. Our brothers and sisters in the South have a better word for this that we don't use here, but it would be better if our Bibles were using the word y'all, and we would see y'all all over the place. The New Testament was written strengthening these churches, talking to groups of people, calling them to a higher life. In this, we see that the end goal of community is to move all of us towards Christ-likeness. I think about passages like the one another passages that we read about in scriptures. Scripture, to, to pray for one another, to care for one another, to forgive one another. There are 59 occurrences of these one another commands. And they're teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Moving us more into Christ-likeness. So what am I getting at with all of this? Since God designed us for community. He has called us into community. His spirit and his word will work to strengthen our community. And community is the context from which we live our lives with God. And again, I'm not talking about some social club. I'm not talking about some, you know, just, oh, I have a few friends who are Christians that hang out with every time. No, I'm talking about intentional community. Friends, we need to walk with Jesus in the company of others. To separate or to keep ourselves from others is to keep ourselves from aspects of the abundant life that Jesus has called us to. When we separate ourselves from this call to community, to doing life in the context of community, we keep ourselves from living obedient to God's word. There are so many commandments in Scripture that tell us how to relate to other Christians. But if we're not with other Christians, how can we fulfill these commandments? The life that Jesus has invited us into is one in which we do life together. 
I'm just going to digress really quickly here. For those of you who are maybe new to TCC, um, this is our discipleship framework, we call it. That when we talk about helping people know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and share Jesus, how do we do that as a staff? So our staff team are very familiar with this, and we, we ask one another to, to be thinking about this as we design ministry and as we engage in ministry. But the whole idea here is that we believe that being born to the image of Jesus is, happens as we engage in community, in teaching, and in practices, all empowered by the Holy Spirit, over time. Um, and the reason I bring this up is to say that as we head into the fall, we are obviously going to place a, an increased focus on the idea of community, so that one of those, those peaks of the triangle, but we're also going to emphasize that community is our practice uh, for, this, for this season. And so in that, and in all that I'm saying, I hope you are beginning to hear that community is an essential practice. Community is an essential practice. Last year when we talked about our theme of with, we had an emphasis on the practice of silence and solitude. But here we're shifting um, to having an increased focus on the practice of community. Calling community a practice is to say that it is something that we have to be intentional in. Life-changing community isn't going to simply happen to you. And I have to say, I really struggle with this because I am incredibly introverted, uh, believe it or not. Uh, finding myself working as a pastor, that is not a career that lends itself to introversion, but here I am by the grace of God. My natural tendency is to push into self. My natural tendency is to retreat from the busyness and the chaos of the world. My natural tendency is to steer away from community. But I am surprised over and over again, and it's happened enough times that I should not be surprised anymore, that even as an introvert, I experience an incredible amount of strength and life as I choose to be intentional with community. Uh, Pastor John Mark Comer, who is really big on practices, he's, um, he talks about the, this reality that silence and solitude and community could be said to be the two most important of all the practices. And he would say that in silence and solitude and in community, we are shaped and formed the most. Think about it. In silence and solitude, we have these moments alone with God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He reveals something to us. He, he works with us in those times. And we leave those times feeling strengthened and refreshed. We grow. What's funny about the practice of community is that we find ourselves in community and we are rubbed the wrong way. <laughs> Our patience is tested. We find ourselves maybe angry at someone. We find ourselves living life in a certain context. And what is revealed to us is all the areas in which we need Christ to work. <laughs> Lord, I need your help to be patient. Lord, I need your help to endure the relationship with that person. Lord, I need your help to love so-and-so. And because of that, we grow the most. Silence and solitude and community were two practices that Jesus seemed to go back and forth from. He would spend time alone with the Father, then he'd be with his disciples. He'd spend time alone with his Father, and then he would be with the people. Friends, we need to prioritize the practice of community. Well, how do we begin to practice community? I believe that Hebrews chapter 10 gives us a fantastic framework just as we begin to think about community. We read that, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And here the writer of Hebrews highlights the importance of accountability in the context of community. Let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works. That as we engage in life together, we see one another's weak spots. We see where maybe someone might be lacking in love and we can help one another move towards Christ-likeness. We're going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks, that we want to be a community of accountability. The writer of Hebrews highlights proximity, saying that we should not neglect meeting together. Friends, it is so important for us to be together. And if you're watching this morning from home, I'm not wanting to bash against um, online church in any way like that, but I do want to say If you are not finding ways to be intentional with Christian community outside of watching church online or even outside of a Sunday gathering, you are selling yourself short. Proximity is so important as we do life together that we will actually be together, see one another outside of a church gathering. Next is encouragement. Encourage one another. What I love about the word encouragement is that it's to fill someone with courage. <laughs> you think about the day and age that we live in. The hostility against God's word or even the hostility towards being a Christian. Friends, we need one another's encouragement. And then in addition to that, this, this whole theme of urgency. That we need to do all, all of this all the more as we see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews reminding us that this life is not all that there is. And as we as a Christian community, as we do life together, we remind one another that this life is not all that there is. And there is an urgency to us being on mission for Jesus and living out the calling that he has for us. Well, friends, as I say all of this, I need to highlight that community is an incredibly difficult practice. Community is an incredibly difficult practice. When we talk about the practices, uh, like something like silence and solitude and prayer, there's, there's an immediate reward. There's a joy in those times. When we talk about a, a practice like community, we recognize that all of us have varying experiences with it. I'm sure many of you have stories of trying to make a friend in church and it not working out. I'm sure many of you have, have experiences and stories of being hurt by people in the church. I just want to highlight for us um, three things, and this again is from John Mark Comer, three things that keep us from engaging in community or why community is a difficult practice. The first is, um, that is not the right one. Sorry, everyone. Let's stay here for a second. Uh, The first is the idea of individualism. Community is a difficult practice because of our individualism. And the reality is that when we live as, and our mindset is that of being individualistic, we have an inability to commit. We have an inability to come under the authority of the way of Jesus. To live in a community means that we cannot necessarily just do whatever we want whenever we want to do it. But we need to give up some of our rights in love for the sake of others. So for us to do community well, we need to consider areas in our lives where we are highly individualistic and find ways to set that aside. The second barrier to community is that of idealism. Idealism. 
Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, has this amazing quote where he says that those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself becomes destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. What Dietrich Bonhoeffer is getting at is, is this idea, and I've heard it from so many people when it comes to participating in church, is that we have this idea of how church should be. We have an ideal of how we think Christian community should look. And so we come into a community with that expectation, with that ideal, but then we experience the realities of community and we're disappointed. But we love the ideal more than we love the people. So how do we deal with that? Well, we get angry with the people and we leave. Our idealism has ruined the community. Rather, we need to give up that idealism for the love of another and have a greater love for the people than for the idealism. I know I am guilty of this. Getting frustrated with different expressions of Christian community because it's not the way I think it should be. But friends, we need to let that go. The third is intimidation. This reality that we're simply scared. And in a lot of ways, we should be scared to engage in the practice of community. And as a culture, we're coming out of a season where we were taught to be cautious of one another. And I have to say that it is risky business teaching on the church this way. It is risky business me inviting you to come and participate in community. Because our experiences with community are often far from the ideal we long for. And the reality is that we often experience the hurt of other people's disappointment other people's disobedience or we experience the hurt of their apathy and at times we participate in hurting others and we participate in being apathetic perhaps you've sought help but been rejected or maybe you've been vulnerable and had that vulnerability be exploited in the context of a church perhaps you have felt overlooked or have been wrongly judged if that is your story friends that is not God's intent or his design. But Jesus has shown us a better way. And God's word portrays to us a better way. Friends, are you willing to join with me and begin walking in that way of Jesus together? One of the ironies with community is that community is where we experience both our deepest hurt, but also our greatest healing. Where we can be hurt deeply by something someone says, or does or doesn't do. But friends, as we push into community together, I believe we begin to experience healing. But I have to say, I will disappoint you. Terwilliger Community Church will disappoint you. It will push up against your idealisms. Things will not be the way that you think they should be. The relationships with people in this room will not be experienced the way that you hope them to be experienced. But friends, can we walk in that direction together? Continuing to meet together regularly, encouraging one another. So over these next weeks, we'll be exploring various themes from Scripture about community. In each, we will be getting glimpses to the various ways that you and I can grow in practicing community. So my question for us this morning, though, is how are you currently at practicing community? How are you at practicing community? 
As you sit and listen to what I'm talking about, what runs through your minds? I want to invite you to consider in what ways are you practicing community well? And what might you do to engage more intentionally in practicing community? I have to say that I have been so blessed watching this church over the last five years. Because TCC in general, I believe we do community quite well. We do community quite well. There's those of you sitting here this morning who I I think you nail this practice. You're really good at it. My question for you then today is how might you become a greater ambassador for community? Who might you invest in in these next few months to help them experience the same community that you have? For others, maybe we hear this and we are mindful of the fact that, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of Christian friends. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in a small group or participated in church outside of Sunday morning. Maybe you've found yourself isolated from Christian community for various reasons. Or maybe you're looking at a fall schedule and you feel like there's just no way I can fit anything else in. In that, I want to ask you to consider, are your current commitments conducive to you responding to Jesus' call to community? Does something need to be reordered in your calendar to make community more of a priority? Friends, I'm excited about these months ahead. As you heard Pastor Steve uh, talk about this morning, there is a lot going on in the life of our church. Um, We have various opportunities and ways for you to get involved outside of a Sunday morning, and we invite you to prayerfully consider the ways in which you might get more involved here at TCC. One thing that we're starting up uh, this fall is something we're calling community groups. Uh, Community groups will be launching at the end of the month, and they're like a small group or like whatever you want to call them, a home group or a life group. Um, But we're just asking people to commit to meeting with one of these groups between now and December. And come December, those groups will hit an end date. Um, But my invitation to you is to try it out. Is there a place in your calendar for a community group this fall? And we'll be talking more about those in the, in the weeks to come. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me here on the platform. But friends, I'm not sure how you're hearing this message today. But wherever you are at, however you come today, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees the scars that this past year has maybe left in your life. He sees the scars that maybe the pandemic has left in your life. Jesus sees any hurt or pain that you're carrying this morning. Jesus sees you in this moment. But friends, Jesus also provides for us the resources that we need to move towards health. Jesus provides for us the resources we need to move towards abundance. And I believe that he's given us not only himself as a resource for us to experience more life, but he's also given us the gift of community. So can we trust Jesus as we step more intentionally into this practice? Can we hear his invitation not just into a life with him, but also into a life together? And can we trust that it'll be good? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we recognize that your call on our lives to follow you is not just a call to follow you, but also a call into a community. Lord, I pray this morning that we would hear that invitation, that we would hear that call. 
And Lord, perhaps this morning some of us are sitting here and we resonate with the loneliness that's been, um, been rampant in these past couple of years. Lord, help those of us in this community to see those who are hurting and broken and to respond to those needs. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, would we be a community that ministers the love and life of Jesus to one another? Lord, may we recognize that as we meet with others in community, we are also meeting with you. And God, may we experience great joy in the midst of that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.